Good morning, everyone. Psalm 107. If you haven't yet turned there, that's where we're going to be this morning as we look at this next psalm in our sermon series through the book of Psalms this summer, Songs for Every Season. And uh, I'm excited to walk through this psalm with you this morning, Psalm 107. And as we look at this, um, I love how the worship songs uh, really just fall in line with the theme of this particular song, this ancient song that we hear uh, or we read here in the book of Psalms. And it talks about God's love. Now, our love ebbs and flows. Our love comes and goes. It's really dependent upon uh, the object of our love's performance to satisfy or, or, or the performance uh, to ability to satisfy us. We love our sports teams, especially when they're on the 13 game winning streak, right, Cameron? Um, or maybe our, our love begins to wane when we realize that they haven't made the playoffs in 20 plus years. Um, or, you know, we love, our, we love our team, but then they trade away the best player in franchise history, you know what I mean? And then our love kind of, kind of goes away a little bit, maybe, I don't know. We love our favorite bands, but then they announce that they're breaking up and it's just like, okay, now what? What am I supposed to do? We, we love our spouse and our kids. And yet even with our family, they can do things to hurt us. And sometimes our love begins to grow a little cold for even those closest to us in our life. And even uh, our love for God can come and go, not based on him, but based on what we feel like he is or isn't doing in our life. Our love for God can wane and can grow cold. It can start to dim. But God's love, however, doesn't fade. It doesn't change. It never runs out. And that's what we're going to see here from this psalm this morning. Most scholars believe that Psalm 107 is actually written after the exile of the nation of Israel. So if you know Jewish history, you'll know that the, the nation of Israel was carried away into captivity. And it was after those 70 years of captivity that most people believe this psalm was written. We'll see a little bit of that uh, hinted at it in the verses that we're going to read. But this, this ancient song, it documents what God was doing for the people of Israel in that moment. But it also foreshadows what God is going to do for us and what he has done for us thousands of years later. And so we see from this song, it's actually, um, as has been noted during this series, this book of Psalms is a book of songs. And so this Psalm has similar structure in that it has kind of an introduction and then it has four verses, each followed by a chorus. And then there's kind of a concluding uh, a down chorus. If uh, I, I, I asked Pastor Evan this morning, is that, is that the right word? I, I have no idea. Uh, I, I love to sing, but I'm not a musician. So it's kind of like this, this closing uh, conclusion to the song here that we'll see uh, today from Psalm 107. So I want to read the introduction, the first couple of verses here. Uh, but as we read this morning, I want us to see in this Psalm five characters, five characters in, in Psalm 107. And the first one that we're going to see, it, he keeps popping back up. Uh, and so we'll see him throughout Psalm 107 this morning. Let's go ahead and read the first three verses. It says this, uh, and, and I love Desta read this just a minute ago, Desta and Zenebuck, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord proclaim that he has redeemed them from the power of the foe. And he has gathered them from the lands, from the east and the west, from the north 
in the South. This is where we, we start to see some of this post-exilic language where God is now gathering his people once again. He has redeemed them from the power of the foe. He's bringing them back together. And we see here four elements in this introduction, kind of the reason or the purpose that the writer of this song is writing Psalm 107. We see here these four elements that they will continue to pop up and be repeated throughout the song. And they are this, God is good. Can I get an amen to that? God is good. God's love never runs out. God redeems his people and God gathers his people to himself. We see that here in this opening introduction, kind of the the purpose, the setting for this Psalm. And we'll see here the first character in Psalm 107 is the Lord. He is the most important character in this psalm. And as we read through this this morning, I hope that you'll see God showing up time and time again through these verses as we read. But also, as we read these verses, as we journey through this song, I read this perspective from Pastor Nikki Gumbel, who pastors in, in England. And, uh, and as he uh, said this, it actually helped me understand, I think, more how we're supposed to look at Psalm 107. Pastor Nikki Gumbel says this, often what happened to people physically in the Old Testament is a picture of what happens to us spiritually in the New Testament. So as we read through this Psalm, we're going to see some physical suffering and oppression and affliction that the nation of Israel walked through and experienced. As you read that, you may not identify with it physically, but I hope that you'll identify with it maybe spiritually in your own heart. So carry that perspective with you as we read through this Psalm together. As we look at it this morning, let's continue reading and let's see character number two this morning. Character number two is found in verse number In verse four, the psalmist writes, some wandered in the desolate wilderness, finding no way to a city where they could live. They were hungry and thirsty. Their spirits failed within them. Here we find the wanderer the wanderer. When the lands of Israel and Judah were invaded and and the people were uh, were taken away, the the land was occupied by the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the the Jewish people were scattered. Some wandered around from various place to place and trying to attempt uh, uh, to secure a place to dwell. They They were homeless. They were weary. They were exhausted. They uh, their soul, uh, it says, fainted within them. They were, they were hungry and thirsty. This was a time of wandering, a time of affliction, a time of, of not knowing where they were going to end up. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been there physically. Maybe you've been there financially or spiritually. You've been in this place of wandering. Have you ever found yourself there? Have you ever felt that you're just wandering through life with, with no purpose? You've got a lot going on, but you're still just trying to figure out what life is all about. Maybe you have a beautiful family, you've got a wonderful home, you've got a job that you enjoy, you've got the car you've always wanted, and yet there's still this feeling of just, I just don't have any peace. I just don't have any any, any hope. I just don't really feel like I'm where I'm supposed to be. I don't feel like I have arrived or, or, or gotten to the place where I want to be. There's just this feeling of, of wandering still in your own heart, in your own spirit. Your spirit has failed. Your, your soul has fainted. You haven't yet found the meaning of, of your life. You haven't yet discovered your purpose. 
Maybe some of you, you've failed recently at something, whatever it might be. You've, you've recently just felt like, man, I just, I, just can't, I just can't do what I wanna do. And this is just not working out and this isn't happening the way that I, that I thought it would. And you're, you're, you're questioning everything in life because you've just recently had this experience of, of failure. There've been two specific times in my life that I've experienced this very, very real uh, feeling of, of, man, lack of purpose and just wandering. And what am I supposed to do? God, what are you doing? Um, two times, um, and maybe you, you think after hearing this, I should have learned my lesson the first time. You're probably right. Uh, but I moved my family across the country twice. I've actually moved more times than that, but across the country, uh, thousands of miles uh, each time, uh, moving my family with me, um, chasing what I truly believe was, was the, the, the calling of God. And God uh, doing something for us, we thought, man, we're gonna go and we're gonna build something great for God. We're gonna do something uh, miraculous and we're gonna see God do incredible things through us. We stepped out in faith and both times we were filled with excitement. We, we, were, we had this, this, this promise of, of amazing things that were going to happen, big dreams. And both times God stops us dead in our tracks. And God closes both of those doors over just a short amount of time. And each time I felt like this, God, what are you, what are you doing? I, I thought I was following you. I thought I was stepping out in faith. I thought I was doing what you wanted me to do. And yet I'm here in this place feeling like, I don't know why you brought me here. I feel like I'm wandering. I feel like I'm trying to, I'm, I'm spinning my tires. Anybody ever been there before? You just feel like, man, what am I, what am I really even doing? here, trying to figure out what to do next. Well, if that is you this morning, and those times do happen in our life, and if they haven't happened yet, they probably will happen in your life. That time of wondering, that time of wondering what you're supposed to do and when. The psalmist tells us what we're supposed to do in verse number six. He says, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He rescued them from their distress. He led them by the right path to go to a city where they could live. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love and his wondrous works for all humanity. For he has satisfied the thirsty and filled the hungry with good things. You see, they cried out to God and look what God did. You see, they hit the distress signal in their life. They, they said, God, we need you. Can you guys see this up here? Can anybody see that? I'm gonna hold it up for you. Can you see it? All right. This is a little distress signal that I found this week. I thought maybe this might help you uh, put, put the, the thought together for you this morning. We, we lift up the distress signal in our hearts when we're out there wandering and say, God, we need you. God, I can't do it on my own. I'm wandering around trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do, trying to figure out my purpose in life, trying to figure out why you've brought me here. And we hit that distress call. And look what God, God does. God rescues them from their distress. He rescues us from our distress. He leads us down the right path to a city where we could live because his love never runs out. And that's what I want you to walk away with this morning. If, if you hear nothing else this morning, I want you to hear this. God's love never runs out. His faithful love endures forever. His love never runs out. You see, you might think that it has. You might think that you've run away so far from God. You've wandered so far from home that there's no way that you can come back. And yet God's love 
never runs out. He satisfies the thirsty. He fills the hungry with good things. We see that he rescues the wanderer from their distress and he satisfies their hungry, fainted soul. As we continue reading, we see character number three this morning. Character number three is the prisoner. The prisoner. In verse number 10, the psalmist writes, others sat in darkness and gloom, prisoners in cruel chains because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the counsel of the Most High. He broke their spirits with hard labor. They stumbled and there was no one to help. Sometimes I believe God allows us as his people to experience pain, to perfect his plan in us. God allows us to experience pain, maybe the pain of our past, maybe the pain of our present, but God allows us to experience pain in order to perfect his plan in us. And it's not fun to be a prisoner. There's, there's pain associated with that. There's, there's pain in being in prison. Notice they sat in darkness. Some would say that the shadow of death, they were, they were close, they, they felt like they were close to dying. They'd reached the end in their mind. They were prisoners in chains because of their rebellion against God's commands and his counsel. And you know what? Sometimes God allows us to experience the pain of our own choices, the pain of our own decisions. I would say for myself, the pain of my own stupidity. You know what I mean? Just like, okay, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm in this position because of me, not because of you, God. And God allows us to experience that so that we get to the place where these people got. Sometimes the hipster in me just resists something for the sake of resisting it. You know what I mean? Somebody tells you to do something or asks you to do, you just, you just resist because I don't know, that's just uh, what I do. Anybody else with me this morning? Maybe it's just me, okay? Uh, somebody tells you to do something a certain way, you just, you, just, you just have to try to do it your own way, right? My wife, Leah, can surely attest to this. Um, there are times where, uh, you know, she'll, maybe not gently, I was gonna say gently, but maybe not gently remind me uh, that, I, that I do this. Um, you know, there are times where I, I just, I don't like following rules that I don't understand. Anybody with me this morning? You just, you have a hard time following. I just don't understand why that rule is in place. So I, I just have a hard time following that rule because I don't understand it. It's like a, a certain stretch of highway near where I used to live that was like 30, it's, it's a highway, 35 miles per hour. I, I just don't understand it, God. I just don't understand why. Often this leaves me humiliated and punished, having a hard time or afflicted. Thankfully, it hasn't resulted in being put behind bars yet. Um, but that, 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 that experience of, of feeling like, why is this, why am I having to experience this? And maybe you're here today and you're feeling like a prisoner. Maybe you're feeling like life is a prison right now. Or maybe you're still a prisoner of the past something that has happened or something that you experienced, something that you went through is still experience, you're, you're still experiencing pain from that. Whatever that might look like, whatever that might be. Maybe you're feeling like there's no help in sight. Darkness is closing around you. You're, you're, you're feeling the feelings of depression or your anxiety is closing in 
around you. You're working as hard as you can uh, to, to do the right things. You're, you're working hard to grow spiritually or relationally or financially. You're, you're trying to take the right steps and do the right thing, but there's no hope on the horizon, or so it seems. You're a prisoner. What do you do in the prison? Well, the psalmist tells us what to do in verse 13. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and gloom and broke their chains apart. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love and his wondrous works for all humanity. For he has broken down the bronze gates and cut through the iron bars. You cry out to God, cry out to God in your distress. God, I'm in prison. God, I am in darkness. God, I have the darkness is closing in around me. God, I can't see. You hold up that distress signal. Say, God, I need you. God, I've tried everything I can. I've tried to break the chains. I've tried to break the bars. I've tried to do everything that I can to get out of here. But God, I need you. You hold up that distress signal and watch what God does. He saves us from our distress. He brings us out of the shadows. God is a chain breaking God. He will break every chain because his love never runs out on us because his love won't allow him to leave us there. His love never runs out. He has broken up the prison of our soul. He has cut the bars. He has made it so that we can walk in freedom from that darkness. We just need to cry out to him, God, I need you. We come to the, to the end of our rope. We realize that we can no longer do what we need to do to get out. And God is there to free us. As we continue on, we see character number four, the fool. The fool. Look what it says in verse 17. Fools suffered affliction because of their rebellious ways and their iniquities. They loathed all food and came near the gates of death. This description of a fool, it describes people who were sick. They, they loathed food. You ever been sick to the point where you just didn't want anything? Nothing smelled good, nothing sounded good, nothing tasted good. You just, you just didn't want anything. People who are sick and miserable, close to dying. They, they identified, they're identified as fools or rebels or sinners. Notice the word iniquities there. And at one time or another, we have all been the fool. The apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter one and verse 18, if you wanna turn over there, it'll also be on the screen behind me. I wanna read a lengthy number of verses here, but I want us to see this description that Paul gives to the church at Rome of these kinds of people, these, these fools, if you will. Who are these fools? Who, who, who is the, what the psalmist is writing about? We see here, uh, Paul kind of explain who these people are. Romans chapter one and verse 18 says this, for God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their, uh, by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world being understood through what 
he has made. God is being understood through what he has made. He has revealed himself to humanity through his power of creation. For though they knew God, in verse 21, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became, what's that word? Fools. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. You say, well, that's not me. I guess we're off the hook. We're not worshiping animals and four-footed beasts and all those kinds of things. Look what it says. Therefore, God delivered them over in their desires of their heart to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the creator who is praised forever. They worshiped and served what had been created instead of the one who had created it. Let's keep reading. Verse 26, for this reason, God delivered them over to disgraceful passions, Their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The men in the same way also left natural relations with women and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do what is not right. Notice what it says here in verse 29. Here's where we see, this is all of us this morning. This is all of us who have been under the power of sin at one time or another in our life. They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Did Paul leave anyone out? I I think he got us all there in that. Although they know God's just sentence that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. Here we see Paul as he writes this description of these people who have changed the truth of God into a lie. They have worshiped the creation more than the creator. They have been turned over to all of these acts of evil. They, the desire of their hearts degraded their bodies and they claimed to be wise, but they actually became fools. They, 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 didn't, they refused to acknowledge God and his justice and chose instead to applaud unrighteous practices. And then Paul says, those that do these things deserve death. You see, the truth of the matter is this morning, the wages of sin is death. And for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us has played the fool at one time or another in our life. We have been under the presence and the power of sin in our lives. And if we think, well, maybe that's not us anymore, I'm gonna read a quote from Paul Tripp this morning. The quote says this, sin reduces all of us to fools. Sadly, we demonstrate that foolishness every day. We think we can spend what we want to satisfy our seemingly endless desires without getting into hopeless debt. 
We think that sex, food, or fun will satisfy the hunger of our hearts for contentment and life. We think we can rebel against authority and it will be all right in the end. We think we can be selfish and demanding in our relationships and our loved ones will still want to be near us. We think we can pursue the pleasures of creation at any time and in any way we want and not get fat, addicted, and in debt. We think that we can step over God's boundaries without consequences. We think we deserve what we do not deserve and are able to do what we cannot do. Shockingly, there are more times than most of us recognize or would be willing to admit when we think we're smarter than God. The reality is, this is not good news this morning, but it's a part of the story that we are all foolish. We all think we know better than God. We all think we have what we need. And maybe as we read those verses and we see the sins that Paul lists out or we, 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 we read that quote from Paul Tripp, we begin to see that we are those people. We are those fools that need God. What do we do? If that's us this morning, let's go back to Psalm 107 and verse 19. What do we do? Maybe you know by now, we cry out to the Lord in our distress. We cry out to the Lord in our trouble. He saves them from their distress. He sent his word and healed them. He rescued them from the pit. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love and his wondrous works for all humanity. Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and announce his works with shouts of joy. We cry out in distress to God. We say, God, I need you because I am a sinner. I am a fool. I thought I knew what was best for me. I thought I knew what I needed, but God, I recognize that I need you. You are the only one that can rescue me. And look what God does. He saves them from their distress. He sends his healing word. Notice that in verse 20, he sent his word and healed them. I think that's a foreshadowing of the word that was made flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus was the word that God sent to us, his healing word. He rescues us from death. Why? Because his love never runs out. That's the good news this morning. The bad news is we are fools. We are sinners. We are evil. We are wicked. But God in his love for us comes and rescues us in our distress, in our trouble. He is the one that can rescue us. And then character number five this morning, character five is the merchant. As we see this in verse 23, I think this might be the group that we can most relate to in today's Psalm. Look at what it says in verse 23. Others went to sea in ships, conducting trade on the vast water. They saw the Lord's works, his wondrous works in the deep. He spoke and raised a stormy wind that stirred up the waves of the sea, rising up to the sky and sinking down to the depths, their courage melting away in anguish. They reeled and staggered like a drunkard and all their skill was useless. Here we see the merchant, a group of people, a business people, they're world travelers. They're skilled mariners. They're confident in their abilities and they're proud of what they produce. These are business people. These are successful people. These are, these are wealthy people. These are people who have a lot. I think we can identify with, with them today. You may not think you have a lot, but we have incredible wealth in comparison with the rest of the world. These mariners 
encounter a storm. Now, I think I've been on the ocean one time. So uh, I'm a pretty, uh, pretty big expert when it comes to ocean sailing, okay? Uh, I'm not really, okay? Uh, but there's one thing that I know uh, about storms. And that one thing is that, that they can be unpredictable. Even with modern meteorology and tracking and all of the satellite imagery and all of the things that we have, there are still, there's still an unpredictability of storms even today. And ships can get caught in those storms. There can be great damage done to those that are out on the water. And as we think about our lives, as we look at this, again, remembering that we're probably not gonna be uh, merchant marines on ships probably tomorrow. Maybe some of you are, but most of us probably will not. What does this mean for us? As we look at it from a spiritual perspective, somebody once said, and I believe it to be true, as we think about our lives, we're currently, we're either currently in a storm, just coming out of a storm, or about to go into one. In your life, as you walk through this journey that is life, you're either currently in a storm, and I know some of you are, and I, I know some of your storms, you're currently in a storm, or you're about to go into one. Things are kind of calm right now the calm before the storm. Or maybe you've just recently come out of a storm, a, a difficult time in your life. And things are finally, the, the boat is finally you know, starting to calm a little bit, okay? What do we do in storms? What do we do? I think sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that once we come through this particular difficulty, once we come through this particular storm, everything's gonna be okay. We'll never encounter another storm in our life. Once we go through this one, we'll, we'll have what it takes to get through the next one, but that, that, that will never happen. I think so often we think that, man, once we can get through this, we'll be fine. If we can just get through this season of sleepless nights with an infant, everything will be okay. Some of you know what I'm talking about. If we can just get behind the toddler tantrums, if we can just get past the busyness of elementary years, if we can just survive their teenage years, if we can just make it past the college dating and marriage season of their life, if we can just help them through their decisions as adults, if we can just get past that, if we can just hold on until they have kids of their own, then they'll really know. <laughs> you see, life will never cease to have storms. And I'm just using that as an example. I'm not saying your, your uh, family life is a storm. <laughs> okay, maybe it is, but maybe it's not. Um, just using that as an example to show us that life just continues to roll on and storms continue to roll in. And so what will you do when the storms of life occur? One phrase that I wanna point out before we move on, the phrase in the last verse that we read in verse um, 27, it says, and all their skill was useless. Every time I read through this Psalm in preparation for today, that phrase stood out to me and all their skill was useless. Other versions translate this as they were at their wits end. These skilled merchants, these skilled seafaring people were now at, the, at their wits end. They didn't know what to do. Their skill was useless. They had already tried everything and it didn't matter how skilled they were. It doesn't matter how skilled of a salesperson you are. Your skill is useless in the storm that you're in. It doesn't matter how skilled you are in working with people. There's nothing more you can do to convince that family member, that friend, or that coworker. 
You've tried every medication. You've tried every treatment. You've tried every therapy and you've reached your wits end. There's no way out of this storm according to what you know about storms. You've done everything you know to do. You've talked with everything you can that, that can help. You've Googled all the keywords. You've asked all the Facebook groups that you're a part of and you still can't figure out how to get out of the storm that you're in. What time is it? It's time to hit the distress call. It's time to say, God, I need you. God, I have tried to do everything that I know to do to get out of this storm, but I just can't do it on my own. Look at what they do in verse 28. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper and the waves of the sea were hushed. They rejoiced when the waves grew quiet. Then he guided them to the harbor they longed for. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love and his wondrous works for all humanity. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of elders. Cry out to God and look what he does. He brings you out of the distress. He stills the storm. He guides you to a harbor where you find safety and peace because his love never runs out. And if you think that's a one-time occurrence, you haven't been listening, okay? That happens all the time. So what are we supposed to do? We're to cry out to God in our distress. And that distress call will be the one that we constantly go back to because we, we need God's continual guidance to safe harbor. What does crying out to God actually look like? Some of you might be wondering, well, how do I do that? What are, what are the steps that I need to take? What's the, 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 the strategy for that? What's the solution? What's the recipe to, to crying out to God the right way? And it's pretty simple. And I wanna share a quote from a missionary from the early 19th century. He says this, prayer then is primarily and fundamentally surrender into the hands of God. It's as if you're out on that storm or you're wandering around or you're in that prison or you've just been so sick with sin that you don't know what to do, you literally just throw your hands up and say, God, I need you. You don't have to put your hands up if you don't want to, but, but you're, you're crying out in surrender to God. Prayer is just us recognizing that we need him. We need God. We can't do it on our own. We can't get out of this on our own. We need to surrender to him. That's what crying out to God is. Now, as we close this psalm, I want to read through the, the last several verses of this psalm. And I want you to see here in these verses, as the psalmist kind of concludes uh, what he's talking about, this theme of God's love never running out and the, the wonderful things that God has done to save his people from trouble and from distress. In these closing verses, we catch a glimpse of what some call the upside down nature of God's kingdom. The upside down nature of God's kingdom. Look what he says in verse 33. He turns rivers into desert, springs into thirsty ground, fruitful land into a salty wasteland. Wait, I, th I thought God did, did good things. I thought he just turned graves into gardens. No, God also has justice as well. And he will uh, afflict the wicked and the evil one as well. He, he, is, uh, he has wrath for sin as we saw last week, Pastor Barry talked about. In verse uh, 35, he turns desert into a pool, dry land into springs. He causes the hungry to settle there and they establish a city where they can live. 
They sow fields and plant vineyards that yield a fruitful harvest. He blesses them and they multiply greatly. He does not let their livestock decrease. When they are diminished and are humbled by cruel oppression and sorrow, he pours contempt on nobles and makes them wander in a trackless wasteland. But he lifts the needy out of their suffering and makes their families multiply like flocks. The upright see it and rejoice and all injustice shuts its mouth. Let whoever is wise pay attention to these things and consider the Lord's acts of faithful love. You see, what makes sense to us from a natural human perspective is not the way that God tends to operate. God does things oftentimes in reverse of what we think he should do. Jesus said that, that um, the last shall come first and the first will be last. He's not talking about in line for lunch, okay? What he's talking about is that what the, the ones that we think go first will end up being the ones who go last. And those who are humble will be exalted. That's how God works. God humbles those, uh, who, God exalts those who humble themselves and he humbles those who exalt themselves. God does things differently than we do. He turns graves into gardens, yes. He turns bones into armies. He turns seas into highways. He gives beauty for ashes. He turns mourning into dancing and shame into glory. That's what our God does for us because he loves us, because he wants to rescue us. He wants to save us from our distress. He wants to save us from the storm, from the prison, from the wandering in the wilderness and from the foolish sickness of sin that we have been in. In 1 Corinthians chapter one, I won't read it for the sake of time this morning, but here Paul writes to the church at Corinth about this very idea that God takes what we think is foolish to confound the wise. The world's wisdom is made foolish. God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. God's weakness is stronger than human strength. God has chosen the foolish to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak to shame the strong. God uses what is viewed as insignificant or despised by the world to bring down what is viewed as great. And in that passage of 1 Corinthians 1, Paul talks about how a crucified Jesus is foolish to those who don't believe. The cross seems like, what? that's foolishness. Why would, why would, I, why would I believe in that? And yet that's what God uses to rescue us. The simplicity and the efficacy of the fact that Jesus has paid the price for all of our sins may seem unbelievable. It may seem foolish to some, but it is the power of God for salvation and sanctification because we cannot do it on our own. We have tried, we have failed, we have reached our wits end, we have reached the end of the line, we've reached the end of our rope and we have to cry out to God in our distress and say, God, I need you because I know your love will never run out on me. Today, God invites you to do what the writer of Psalm 107 did, and that is to recognize your situation and cry out in distress. Wherever you may be today, whatever situation you may find yourself in, whatever sickness or storm, prison or wandering, his love never runs out. And he extends his grace to you today. His mercy is new every morning. It's available to you 
today. He wants to redeem you and gather his people to himself. Let whoever is wise pay attention to these things and consider the Lord's acts of faithful love. Will you pray with me right now? God, as we read through your word this morning, I believe your word has power. And I believe your spirit has power and is moving even now amongst the hearts of those that are listening this morning. God, I pray that you would speak to them in such a way that they know, God, they need you. It's time to cry out to God. It's time to recognize, God, that we have done all that we can. And now, Father, we need you. I pray for someone who's here this morning or maybe watching online that doesn't yet have a relationship with you. They find themselves in that sin-sick state. Lord, I pray for them right now that they would understand and recognize that if they continue down the road that they are on, it ends in death, but you have made a way. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so Father, I pray that they would cry out to you right now in this moment, that they would recognize that you are the only one who can save them from their distress. They would call upon you to save them and that you would begin a relationship with them. And I pray for those of us who are believers, who do have that relationship with you. And yet we find ourselves in that same place, struggling with the power of sin in our own life. That sin that besets us, help us to lay aside every weight. Father, help us to come to you, help us to run to you. Like the prodigal son ran home to the father because God, we need you. And we know your love never runs out on us. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna celebrate some baptisms together this morning.